Hi guys, hope you're well. Uh, welcome to everyone. It's Tuesday, which means it's the day I tend to do my kind of growth strategy roadmap uh, podcast and live stream. And what I do every week, or at least try to do, is introduce you to some interesting people that have got some great stories to tell. Often it's people I know myself, and you know I do that because I like the genuine interaction with people. So although I get approached by people who want to be guests, often they just kind of want to plug stuff, which I'm not too kind of keen on. Uh, but what I do like to do is introduce you to people I actually know. We talk about some really interesting topics, often kind of revolving around business strategy, but it could be mental health, it could be business in general, it could be lots of different things. Um, my guest today is uh, no different. I've known Thor for probably about eight to ten years. I'll tell you what, I'm going to bring him in straight away and we'll just start the conversation because that's what it's all about. So, hi Thor, would you like to say hi to everyone? Yeah, hello. How's everyone doing? Oh, uh, good. Uh, I must admit, I'm impressed by the bushiness of your beard as well. Man, this is, uh, this is a COVID special. What, what happened is during lockdown, I cut my own beard and then it came towards the end of lockdown and my wife was not happy because I was looking like, I don't know, what's the boy called in Tintin? What's the, what's the, uh, Captain Haddock, yeah. isn't it? And so I booked an appointment at the, uh, my local guy. I thought he was back to work. I turned up, they were all excited with this ridiculous, even bushier beard. Uh, and I'm messaging him saying, hey, where are you? I'm waiting outside because you have to wait outside and get COVID escorted. And um, I get this message back saying, uh, your appointment's next week. <laughs> so this is uh, me still working my own magic. Well, yeah. I must, what I found quite funny is that every Sunday I do a recap of previous guests, like the best advice they've had. And because I started this in the middle of lockdown, my hair starts okay and it gets worse yeah. and worse and worse. And then you go through probably about five to 10 weeks of self-cutting or my wife cutting it. And then actually about a month ago, I think touching into June or May, whatever it was, I started to get my hair cut properly. And it's funny just to see the transition that I guess 2020 will always kind of look back on. But it's but I empathize. I think everyone's in the same kind of boat. Um, so how's Tricks? How have you been? I haven't seen you for a while, actually. No, it has been a while, hasn't it? I mean, you could say that with everyone, though, couldn't you? It's the uh, strangest of times. But how did we meet? Because I think it was at that. It was like a hustings for a general election, wasn't it? Yes. Did so it was, it was an Aberdeen Young Professionals event. And yeah. neither of us are young or professional. <laughs> but it was. Because <laughs> uh, it was in a hotel. Um, and yes, it was. It was, so it was a hustings event. And the lady actually went on to win, didn't she, for Aberdeen? Oh, was it Mary Black, maybe? I, I don't know what her name was. She was well, lovely. Years ago. And uh, it was shout out to Ross Jolly, who maybe yes. might, might tune into this, but it would have been Ross and the Aberdeen Young Professionals that got me involved. But the thing that sticks in my head, I don't know if it was you or Sandy, I think it was, that was with you. One of you guys, when I came off stage, I'd been like facilitating the thing and grilling the politicians like they should be grilled. And one of you two, I don't know who it was, but one of you said something like, I was like Andrew Neil, but tougher. And I was like, I've had that ever since. I've been like, yes, thanks. So I don't know if it was you or Sandy, but thank you, whoever it was. So would you like to tell people who you are, where you're from? Mm. Yeah, I'll keep it minimal. So I'm Thor, and that is my real name, not my stripper name. Uh, it's one of those things. I had hippie parents, and I guess dad thought it would help me fit in in Shetland because they were English hippies that moved up to Shetland to grow marijuana in peace and just bring up their kids in the middle is, of nowhere on a little island. Is that true or is that just a joke? No, that's absolutely true. 100% true. <laughs> um, but Dad thought it would help me fit in. What he didn't know is people in Shetland, same as the rest of Scotland, tend to have pretty standard names. I mean, there is a strong biking influence up there. They have their Apelia Fire Festival every year and everything. But, you know, my friends were, you know, Stuart, Martin, Alan, just standard names. So it didn't really help me fit in, but it's been a great conversation starter and I have no complaints. I, I still thank my dad being 47 years old as I am because, you know, he could have given me a standard name and I would never have this wild conversation starter. But no, what do I do? I'm not going to give some fancy pitch and I'm not here to pitch anything. Um, I'm a coach and the thing that I enjoy the most is listening to other people, helping mm -hmm. them express themselves. And that goes through my mental health counseling as well. That's kind of the through line for me. I've dabbled with various things over the years. I thought I wanted to do something else when I was first leaving school. I thought I wanted to be a soldier. I'd have been a tragic soldier. I'd have been awful. I mean, as my wife says, I've got freedom issues, Steve. <laughs> I would have been like, well, should we shoot him? I don't think we should shoot him. No, I don't agree with that. Like I would have been arguing the toss for shooting 
person I thought we should shoot. So no, I think what that was though, that was like a defining value that I still have, which is <clears throat> the idea of, I guess, literally serving other people. I get really motivated when I see someone else come through in something, whether it be something physical, mm-hmm. they get better at, or whether it be um, something psychological, they get a breakthrough on, or whether it be like a career win. If I get a WhatsApp from someone saying that they owned it at the interview, and then I get a week later saying they actually got the role, like that feeling of service to someone or to a team I'm working on a pitch, that's what does it for me. So if I was going to describe myself in a couple of words, it would be freedom and service. Like those it, are my two driving values. It's quite funny this because you're kind of, you're interviewing yourself. <laughs> you're interviewing yourself. You're kind of setting up the question and answering. No, it's good. It's, uh, I, always, I always appreciate people that aren't afraid to talk. A whole interview show wouldn't work if people don't talk. So no, it's cool. Um, so if I, if I can rattle through any potential questions you might have, then I'm going to start interviewing you. <laughs> that's fine. You can ask me anything you want. Uh, we did promise though before we came on air that because this goes on YouTube, it has to be child friendly. Even though I don't I tick the box. Already. Sorry. Have I sworn already? No. Oh, I'm, I'm just warning I everyone was else. Really concentrated. <laughs> so um, normally, like. I, I, I think it's important to kind of go through people's backstory just because a lot of my guests are business owners, entrepreneurs, or they've just been around for a bit and they've got a good story to tell. But then likewise, all of us have been at a point where we were 10, 12, 15, 18, 25, whatever, to kind of find our own way. And one of the things I always try and do is that I like to interview real people, not just, you know, the rarely polished kind of people you always see on stage. And actually through that same token, actually going back and talking through someone's journey, my hope is that one day it will resonate to people from where you're from, just to kind of see actually there are people that do what I want to do and I've seen their journey and there's a path. And again, with the beauty of kind of YouTube, it even could be someone who's not in Scotland or not in England, they could be in India, but actually Mm -hmm. that's the beauty of it. So are you happy to kind of almost talk through, and I love your colourful cup, by the way. My, My cup? Yeah. This is this is Mrs. H's cup, and it works better than I've got a Starbucks travel cup. And yeah, this is yeah. her dog cup. I don't know, it's probably from the garden centre. Phenomenally expensive, but works well. Thank you. So, <laughs> what were you like at school? I was under. If I look back on school, it was one of the biggest missed opportunities. Like I would have been a little victim at school. I would have been. In fact, a good friend of mine later described me as a social uh, invertebrate, as in I just didn't have a social backbone. I didn't get it. And partly it could have been being brought up out in the wilds and maybe not having that level of social engagement. So out of interest on that point, what, at what yeah, point did you come back to civilization, kind of you know, the mainland <laughs> kind of thing? If I was to show you out the window where I live now, you'd wonder if I do. You know, like you could just see trees and hills for miles. Um, I guess age 11, I left the little island, Papa Stewart, it's called in Shetland. I left the island and I moved to the mainland of Shetland. But 11 is quite late you know what i mean it's uh so understandable fine but i only that was me as a kid on my own mm-hmm. like my parents were still on the island but we went away at school so we were away for a couple of weeks at a time but in terms of what i was like at school yeah just a real missed opportunity in fact that's probably one of the one of my drivers now in terms of helping other people express themselves is probably a missed opportunity feeling from my own school time when i definitely didn't express myself well and I kind of took on a bit of victim status I maybe got a wee bit bullied as an 11 12 year old but probably most kids do mm. but I kind of let that live with me at the time okay uh, whereas looking back on it if I just engaged and got involved in the banter rather than taking it too seriously I think I had a lot better time so no I've got no complaints about my schooling but yeah not one of my finest hours that's for sure yeah, class to get out of school in the end, I would say. Because one of the things that I've seen with a lot of guests is, I know it's almost true with myself, is that I was always good at school. But because it, I was never picked up as being short-sighted until I went to uni, I would, I'd always sit at the back of the class because that's where the cool kids sit. And I was always good at my work. But because yeah. I couldn't see the board properly, I'd be I'd lose interest and therefore yeah. be disruptive. And it, it's the same kind of thing that ironically, that in some ways you think I could have got better grades, but actually almost, I think it's it's that drive to achieve something or the feeling that you didn't achieve what you could have is probably what burns the fire now. And I think I see yeah. that a lot because obviously I interview people every week now. So actually I think in some ways, a lot of entrepreneurs have that trait. Yeah, that's probably a fair, fair point. I guess you can let these things define you in a negative way or yeah. you can try and find a positive out of them. So I, I suppose we're just 
finding a positive because you could just say well it was wasted time and you could say that about a startup or whatever as well couldn't you or you could say, say well XYZ. Yeah. so yeah so uh, so you went through school and then what did you both want to be when you grew up and then what did you actually kind of go into so yeah as i said before i thought i wanted to be a soldier but i had a lucky lucky escape because i tried to get into the marines i, I passed like a basic selection course uh i tried twice second time i passed first time i failed just outright second time i've passed but they said they wouldn't give me a scholarship for university which is what i was looking for and then by the time i'd finished university um my eyesight had failed a bit to some degree i was short-sighted too <clears throat> so that was the end of that basically they, they didn't allow uh any kind of laser surgery in those days yeah. so i i couldn't get in because of that but as i say lucky escape for both sides because i wouldn't have been i don't think i'd have been a good soldier what did you do at uni well, a bit of a blend. I ended up with a history degree okay. from Sterling, but I, the, the units that I did, the way they blended it, there were teaching units. So I, I did mm -hmm. some teaching experience. Uh, there were some economics units, which I really enjoyed, and um, actually some religious studies as well, which okay. was genuinely fascinating. Learned about new religious movements from America, learned all about Waco, Texas. We had an American lecturer, Mary Magger, I think it was, probably one of the best teachers I've ever had, actually. Really brought it to life. And yeah, so I ended up with a history degree. But I, I think it's fair to say that university, I still hadn't grown into my social self. Mm -hmm. Late developer, hadn't learned my lessons from high school yet. So I think it's fair, fair to say, yeah, I, I didn't. I don't know that. if everyone thinks that, but almost I was the same. Yeah. So I felt I didn't really become myself, as in really kind of understand who I was and who I wanted to be and stuff, probably until my third year at uni. And, yeah. you know, that was where, compared to some people would come to uni at 18 i say fully polished but they had a, just a different upbringing and i think it's yeah. important that you know people develop at different times if that makes sense and then it's almost it it can be a weird stage because i remember in the halls that i was in there was a guy from my school there so actually i knew someone mm -hmm. but actually the first night at uni we went to loads of different house parties when kids were allowed to get drunk and it was just you would see all these people from different backgrounds and cultures and whatever and actually you remember in some way like people can be horrible you know you had people just being nasty and bitter and, and it's, it's a real kind of learning curve very quick yeah um but I, w I wouldn't change going to uni even though obviously i kind of use some of the stuff now but it was just it's i think it's a good rite of passage that everyone goes through in a different way but i think there is kind of value in it so then what did you do post uni so i had i had a career crisis <laughs> <laughs> that's a definite career crisis which which to be fair gives me empathy for the people a lot of the people i work with now who are in career crisis for various reasons i mean a lot of them are in career crisis because covid's come along and swept away their otherwise superb career but for me as i said i thought i was going to join the marines mm -hmm. that didn't happen couldn't happen so i was like what do i do i could go back to shetland but that felt like <clears throat> i felt like losing it just felt like that would be a loser thing to do. I mean, it would have been fine, but I, that was the psychology. So I moved to Aberdeen because my brother lived there and worked offshore for a, an operator, Shell. So he had a flat here. At, not here, I'm not in Aberdeen, but he had a flat in Aberdeen. And I just said, can I come and live with you for a few weeks while I work out what I'm going to do? But it was a really tricky time. I would have been, I don't know, 2021. And, and he actually convinced me to go and sign on what was then called the Dole. Mm -hmm. He said, look, I've paid my taxes working offshore because he earned reasonable mm -hmm. money. And he said, you go and get some of my taxes back. And I was, I didn't know any better. So I said, well, okay, because I didn't have a job. I had mm -hmm. a wee bit of savings. So I went and signed on. And I, I signed on for a couple of weeks. And man, it was soul destroying. Yeah. Like that feeling of purposelessness and not knowing what I was going to do, even though I did have some money. As I said, I'd saved some money. It was just brutal. And looking at these mainly pretty crappy jobs, to be honest. And yeah, it was a real that was an eye-opener for me that was probably where i started to grow up a bit was after uni because you come out of that kind of bubble um i mean i've done some roughly tufty jobs through uni i'd worked in a with the bin men driving diggers and picking up rubbish and stuff like that so it's not like i've been cosseted but mm -hmm. yeah so that was that was that was what happened that came out of university and just literally didn't know what to do and realized that i just need to get some kind of job here i mean i need to do something and so i just went out and, and looked for anything I could get. <clears throat> the first actual job I got after university was actually a door security job. And it was weird because back in those days, I mean, I was, 
I used to be fit and strong and I used to be a fighter, et cetera. So to me, it seemed like a natural thing to do just as a part-time thing. But it was actually at the student union and it was a new company had come into town and they, they had some kind of training program. Now, I, I don't think, I, I might be wrong, but most door, door companies and bouncers didn't get trained in those days. Mm-hmm. This would have been, I guess, was it the late 90s, 96, 97? Um, but they put us through a training program and it was some ex-army guy. And I kind of resonated with a lot of it. And the idea, again, of service kind of came in. I know people assume that doormen are just there to bat people and yeah, chat girls yeah. or whatever. But to me, a big part of it was actually trying to look after the people in the venues and also to look after the other guys and girls in your team because we had plenty of door women as well. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed that. I actually really enjoyed that job. I got a lot out of it. And I'd like to think I gave a fair bit to it. But that was a part-time job. So I was looking for something else. And... Um, I naturally trained a fair bit at that time, so I, I ended up getting a gym instructor job in a in a probably the busiest Aberdeen gym at the time, the mm-hmm. warehouse. <clears throat> and that's sort of where the first entrepreneurial thing happened to me. Um, I mean, in danger of interviewing myself again here, Steve. Feel free to jump in. <laughs> no, no, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> so what, what happened really is it's not so much that I decided to launch my own kind of venture. I was working, you know, basically a minimum wage job in the daytime as an instructor, and then my door job at night that was better paid. And I was, you know, that was pretty busy because I would start at 6 a.m. in the morning and a lot of nights I would finish at 1 a.m. So I wasn't getting that much sleep. I was really highly occupied physically. Um, but after a while, not long, I'd only been there a few months, I think. And I had one of my instructor clients say, oh, could you personally train me? And I'd also, I'd seen some articles about personal trainers, one in particular stuck in my head, and I'd kind of thought it might be a cool thing to do. So I realized pretty quickly that the pay rate, if you like, PT, even back then would have been £25 an hour, whereas I was on five or six pounds an hour daytime rate as an instructor. And so I did the extra training, et cetera, required and started just taking on my own PT clients as well as working as an instructor at the gym. And that was how my first kind of uh, mini entrepreneurial venture got started. It was because people were asking me, people were saying, could you PT me? So yeah, you've put me through the gym's induction program, but I want to work with you longer term. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of how I actually got started in anything you could call entrepreneurialism. I don't, I don't know whether we should use that word, but you know what I mean? Like in your own, in your own little venture. Yeah. No, cool. I must say it's, I always quite enjoy when people go through a journey and actually you often, you don't know the path that you're going to end up on. So you, you go and you with the best of intentions that you try something and if it works out, you pivot and then you keep changing. So, because when we first met, I think you had Thorholt Limited, which was pitch and presentation training. How did you go from doing the PT to that? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, so I guess, I don't, I can't remember the exact dates, but like in my later 20s, I had another, you could call it a career crisis, but it was more positive. I just somehow got into kind of personal development reading and things. And through that, I'd found coaching, as in more like life coaching. And I ended up getting my own coach for a while. And and I kind of went through a process of just having that proper consideration of what I might actually like to do now. Obviously, I didn't get into the Marines. I wasn't going to be doing that. I'd fallen into working on the door, and I'd fallen into gym instructing and PT. So what about if I was intentional? Like, what would I actually then do, I guess, was the question. And I came up with some howlers like I thought I could be a rock star or a pop star or something but there was a slight challenge there and I couldn't sing um or not particularly well um I I, I thought about acting and I I wasn't so foolish as to think I could just go and be an actor mm-hmm. I went and joined an amateur dramatic group locally and did various uh plays and things and then started applying for drama schools and actually got into drama school in uh Sydney in Australia wow. and was over there for a wee while it didn't work out particularly well I loved Sydney but um School didn't work out for reasons that we won't go into in case somebody sues somebody. But it was a fantastic experience. And I ended up doing a one-year kind of post-grad professional acting training in London. And I still do bits and pieces of acting. I do corporate stuff. Um, That was a crucial part of the journey, though, because then going away, doing my acting training, then getting an agent. I got a pretty good agent, actually, but she was based up in Edinburgh. So I moved back from London with my then-fiancé, who I'd met in the meantime and we moved back up into this part of the world like Aberdeenshire and from there basically anyone who's been involved in acting will tell you you don't instantly jump in and start earning a full-time living that's just not the way it works supply and demand says Mm -hmm. 
it's a very oversupplied profession. So I was getting bits and pieces of work through my acting agent, but I needed to go back to the personal training. And I realized I needed to promote the personal training a bit more than I had before, because times had changed. There were more personal trainers around by now. When I'd done it, when I first started, there was just a handful of us in the whole city. And now there were tons of PTs, you know? So I, I asked somebody in the gym, uh, a guy called Bob Keeler, who some people watching might have heard of. And for the people advice. who don't know who he is, do you want to just give some context? Okay, so Bob, he has been more recently, uh, he was like the chairman of Scottish Enterprise. He's a very successful, what I'd call a real entrepreneur, not like me. Uh, but he's he's been involved in uh, management buyouts, building and selling major companies. Because it was Wood Group, uh, I think, when you from? Group, yes. Uh, Wood, Wood bought his company, PSN. So, yeah, Bob's a phenomenally successful entrepreneur and a great mentor. So what happened is basically I asked Bob for some advice. He did better than that, Bob being Bob. He threw me a, one of his B-team speaking opportunities. Basically, a charity in Glasgow needed a, uh, um, a keynote speaker mm -hmm. in a week's time. So I'd asked about public speaking to promote my business, my PT business. He said, I can do better than that. He sent me this email with something like Thor's challenge in the headline. And it was to speak at this thing in a week's time. I'm like, oh my God. Because I'd had one previous experience of public speaking and I found it really scary. Mm -hmm. And um, he, he didn't just drop me right in. He gave me some structure. He gave me some old notes from a course he'd been on, <laughs> coffee stain notes. And I went away and worked something up. And then he pressure tested me on the day. I went down to Glasgow with my wife and my kid and uh, I presented it and it went pretty well. I mean, it could have been better, of course, but I kind of felt, I kind of felt it was a transformative process and I got more and more into speaking. I did various kind of B team gigs for him, things he couldn't do because of diary clashes, started getting some of my own gigs, started running some of my own little workshops. And one of the common denominators, Steve, was that I was getting asked by like universities, for example, Bob and I would go and deliver something together by this stage. And universities would ask me to come back and just work with the students around confidence and confidence to present. Okay. I guess it's back to that service thing and just loving to see other people come through. You know, when I was a PT, I would teach like a menopausal housewife to throw a left hook that could drop a doorman. And that would give me a great feeling. And it's the same thing when you can help someone get past their nerves and present well an interview or, I don't know, a pitch team that's never won any business to go out and win business. Yeah, just a great feeling. Because I used to get something similar from uh, sports coaching because I'm a qualified yeah. basketball coach. And even, I'm actually not going to do it from now on just because I'm too busy. But actually even say last season, you've got a lot of uh, juniors coming through that are 16, 18, whatever. You know, very, yeah. very good. But they just need a bit of confidence. And I love the kind of seeing people yeah. develop and go on. So now I do uh, kind of understand what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, you get that then. It's a, yeah, it's a, I mean, for me, it's the same. It's exactly the same thing. The physical and the psychological, it's like it's all part of the same thing. Mm -hmm. So often I'll be trying to bring out that energy. Like if I had someone like you, and let's say you were really nervous, which I'm sure you're not, but if you were really nervous as a presenter and I found out you were into basketball, one of the things that I might do is just play around with you in a creative session earlier on and just get you literally bouncing a basketball while you're delivering the opening of your presentation, mm -hmm. for example. Just try to bring through that energy that you that you use in another part of your life in an in a natural way to you because so i've done that with people with golfers all kinds of things but one of the things that i think works is actually i had a big uh, event that i was running a week ago i think it was maybe two weeks ago now and it was on the drive there it was for a really big client quite a big deal what i kind of i don't know which book i got it from but it was all to do with actually how if you're feeling pressure it's because what you're doing matters and what that yeah. does, it means that you've reached a certain point where people care about what you do and you're doing something, again, that matters. And that's why you feel the pressure as opposed to anyone could coast and do stuff which is a breeze. But it's so it's almost to embrace it and really kind of, you know, go for it. So I, you know, I kind of get what you're saying. And then so how did that evolve into the business? So I actually think it was probably Bob's fault again. <laughs> I think I was on a train journey with Bob, come back from, I think it was Edinburgh. We'd been at Harriet Watt, maybe. And I think he said to me, it could be a, like a business in this for you, you know, because I was doing it at that time and I'm, I wasn't getting paid for a lot of that stuff I was doing. In fact, most of it I wasn't. I was just doing it because it was interesting and fun and fulfilled the value of service and helped mm -hmm. people express themselves. And there were bits and pieces that were paid. And yeah, he, he just kind of put the idea in my head. And I, from there, I think the first thing I did, it was a while ago now, the first thing I did was kind of go out and reach out to some people I already knew. I think I invited 20, 21 people, hired a room at a local hotel, 
kind of put together my material, bearing in mind everything I'd done with Bob and also my own reading, because I did a lot of reading around the topic too. And of course, I was experimenting myself and with other people. And I did some kind of, I can't remember the title of it, but it was it was to do with kind of confident presenting, basically. <clears throat> and I, I did this event and I got the feedback from the 20, 21 people. It, it was, if I remember, a particularly brutal year, though, because I think it was maybe 2010 and I'd had swine flu and then I had pneumonia off the back of the swine flu. bird-based flus have come back. <laughs> oh, man, I was just broken. So I do remember running this event, but I'd pre-planned it, so I, I didn't want to cancel it, you know. And I was just... I was really probably lower energy than the natural thought energy, that's for sure. But yes, that's kind of how it kicked off. And then from there, a lot of it's word of mouth. So I'll get introductions from people who know the kind of projects I like to get involved in. Uh, I don't tend to, obviously not with lockdown, but even before that, I was doing less and less of the kind of face-to-face work and more and more working with individuals or small teams and more and more kind of remote work. So for a while, I was doing a lot of flying around bits and pieces in Europe and America and and so on and down in England. But yeah, um, it just kind of grew over the years. And I guess you could say it's a combination of the PT, Mm -hmm. so bringing out people's physical energy, as we were discussing, um, and the acting, because I I help people bring a level of performance kind of discipline to a preparation for a pitch or an interview, which is kind of with an actor's mindset. It's not that I'm not trying to get people to learn scripts or anything necessarily. But yeah, that's kind of how it all combines together. Because on that topic, a former boss of mine, and I wasn't his biggest fan all the time, but the one thing that he would do and he'd do it very well is that if he had a big talk coming up, we would actually sit in his office and we'd run through it and we'd practice and we'd do it again. And, you know, we'd think, okay, who's the audience? Who are we trying to talk to? So we might play up certain things or not and change the language. But it was practice, practice, practice. And it's, uh, you know, that's in the past kind of two years or so I've really kind of picked up and, you know, I really take to heart. So, I, you know, I, I get it. I think it's good. And then practice, so- practice with, with humor, though, I like to keep it light. Man. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Cause one thing I hated from acting days was when certain people just took themselves too seriously. It's fine to take the process seriously. It's fine to take the play or whatever it is you're doing seriously. But people who take themselves too seriously, that does my head in. So, yeah, there, there has to be some banter in it. That's for sure. I kind of vet my clients now. I have a pre a pre working call and I check the banter quality, <laughs> which, which is ironic considering I couldn't handle the banter myself at school. Because I, I was going to ask you that because obviously when because you in the past you've done sales training and that kind of pitch training as well. How much of it do you think is patter and talking and enthusiasm that again it is quite hard to teach if you don't have it? I'm going to say, for me, I know I can be a bit bubbly. But I honestly think listening is more powerful than patter, okay. especially who, who wants to be patted at? I mean, most people would rather be listened to. Like if it's really good quality listening, yeah. that would be, if, I, if there was only one thing someone could focus on to sell themselves into a role or whatever, being the best listener that came into the interview or the best listener in terms of listening to the client's challenges before you pitch them, okay. that would be the winning point. So now I'm not a big believer in patter as such. I mean, banter, yeah, but yes. what I mean by banter is like take the mickey out of each other no, in the okay. I don't mean taking the mickey out of the client. <laughs> <laughs> so as a seamless segue, how has that transitioned into what you're doing now? Um, what, kneeling on the floor trying to fix my dodgy old man's back? Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so what happened, basically lockdown caused just a shift in in what I, what I focus on. So I guess... Pre-lockdown, it would have been maybe 70%, 80% working with companies on pitches and, and so forth. And maybe 30% was kind of career coaching stuff and helping people land roles or or kick butt in interviews. And just through lockdown, naturally, that's just shifted over. And it's probably pretty much the opposite, like 70% career, 30% corporate. So I've still got some corporate pitch work on the go right now. Still enjoy that. Um, people are still getting value from that. But it's just naturally moved around and from that that's caused me to launch the career gold miner site because i just was getting a little overwhelmed in terms of numbers of people mm-hmm. and i wanted to give some kind of stuff up front that people could check out mm-hmm. and get some help from and actually try some ideas some of my ideas in terms of how to sell themselves so i set up career gold miner and i've had help with that mike watson uh, built that built that site and um yeah so that's kind of how it's transitioned so we're looking to that's kind of like a you could say like a software as a service site where people can go and get like the free captain your career mm-hmm. checklist kind of get them started on 
looking for roles and kind of get themselves organized. And then there's a video course, which is I think 15 quid at the moment, yeah, yeah. which is about exploring your career history and learning to sell your value, but in a kind of conversational story driven way, rather than feeling like you have to go in and pitch yourself. Because I um, think yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now in terms of the focus. Because one of the things which I think is good about that, and I talk about it with a lot of different guests in some ways, it's a way uh, to get people into the Thor ecosystem at a lower <laughs> price point. Because every yeah. business should have an ecosystem where you start with some stuff which is free, mm-hmm. and we'll touch on social media and stuff in a second. And then actually, you know, but if they want the full Thor experience, it is more expensive. But actually, you know, that's how it should work. It, you know, it allows you to grow a business. And I'm intrigued where you're walking to, but I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'm just walking from my dodgy old man's back. I'm now standing on the hearth of the wood burner. There we go. Am I still centre screen? Yes, you're fine. And you're still alive, by the way, so people are watching this. <laughs> anyway, um, so tell me I about... I the fire, Steve, I promise. So, I'll stay with you. So tell me about MIT. Oh, yeah, that's a funny one. So basically what happened is, I can't remember the year, but years and years ago, I I scored this piece of pitch work with an oil company, and they were based in Wyoming, and myself and the main guy who was running this pitch in the Barkin shale play, big pitch worth many, many tens of millions of bucks to them. And we agreed we were going to meet halfway. Well, halfway between Wyoming and Aberdeen is uh, actually the eastern freeboard of the US, mm-hmm. pretty much, in terms of flying time. So we agreed to meet in Boston. But I knew something about this guy. I knew he was a little unreliable because I'd worked with him before. So the company were going to be paying me for my time and effort and expertise. But I thought, you know, out of the three days or whatever I book with him, I'll be lucky if he shows up for one day. So I started Googling, looking up uh, Boston and seeing what's in Boston. I found out MIT was there. And so I pitched, I sent a pitch email, uh, which I used like a presentation structure to design. I didn't just send a random email. And I sent it to a decision maker who I discovered at MIT, the entrepreneurial bit of MIT. Basically, I just pitched him the idea of me coming and speaking to their entrepreneurial students on the topic of presenting and pitching. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, I might as well do something useful while I'm there and get some, you know, get some interesting new connections. So I didn't pitch him in it. It wasn't to be paid or anything. It was just to basically do what I'd been doing with Bob mm-hmm. at Scottish universities, but to do it for MIT for free because I was going to be in the town anyway. Went over, he agreed. It was a video interview with him and some of his staff before they let me come. They didn't just agree by after the email, but it was uh, the, in- the email then the interview with them. So I went over, delivered that, and right enough, the guy was there literally one day out of the three. So I was correct. I won't name check him because you never know, he might see this. And um, that was how it started. And after that, I was involved a few times in there. They had like a summer accelerator program. They had businesses coming from all over the world. And I was involved in a couple of them. That was really all there was to it. And one day when I was leaving MIT to nip back to the plane, back to Boston, Logan, and fly home, Bill Owlett, the kind of head guy there, me into the office and there were some of the other teams sat around and he said his words were thor my favorite viking he said i'm going to make you an eir and i i genuinely was like i have no idea what that is but i didn't want to say it so i was like and on the flight out on the drive out in the taxi (laughs) i was looking up eir like what the hell is that and i did wonder why the other kind of team members were looking at me a bit funny or looking at him a bit funny and yeah so apparently it means entrepreneur in residence and it's a great honor now I left it on my LinkedIn profile for a year and then I just ended it because as far as I can tell, it's just like one of those designations. I'm not sure what it really means. And I guess he just gave it to me to say thanks for all the stuff I've done. for them. And, you know, I got a lovely testimonial from one of the key people there that people can find on LinkedIn. And yeah, it was a great experience, but I haven't been there for years and years and years. So it's not something I talk up yeah, or kind of What's interesting, though, is almost from a, a sales and credibility point of view, obviously a lot of people mm. I kind of know and work with are people that are setting up their own business. Yeah. And uh, there's one lady in particular who's from a media kind of background. Mm-hmm. And credibly and rightly so on her website, she can put, because she's worked at The Guardian, the BBC, yeah. Reuters and some others. And it's that credibility piece that being able to use logos and drop things in just adds credibility to Thor that you wouldn't otherwise have. So I was always really impressed with it. And it is something that you should use, you know, as and when, just because it's, it is what it is. It's valuable. And to a business owner who's trying to, you know, establish themselves and do whatever they're trying to do, you know, there is kind of great value in it. So I just wanted to touch on it because I've never, I'd never heard the backstory. Uh, but no. Well, I mean, for me, the, the, the real value in that story for myself too, is, is the idea of just offering to do something 
off your own back, offering to provide value up front because that's where that, as you say, an element of credibility came from. It but, all started just offering them something. So, Because I think the real thing which I really like from that story is the fact that you had an arrangement, you had something going on, you thought I might have some free time. So off your own back, you thought I'm going to, who's there? I'm going to approach them. I'm going to sell, to, you know, and it's not everyone does that. Not everyone has the kind of the thoughts or the ideas to even approach that kind of thing. So I think there is huge value in even just trying stuff that likewise, when I used to come up to Aberdeen, um, you know, if I knew that I had six meetings, I'd try and fit in the seventh and I'd just drop in to say, actually, I'm going to be here. Can we have a chat or grab a coffee? There's no big deal. But actually, it's going that extra mile because you never yeah. know. You know, we're still friends, I guess, eight, ten years on. And it's just, it's, uh, no, it's always interesting. No, I like that, Steve. The one more, the one more, <laughs> just one more, one more phone call, one more meeting. No, you're right. It's good. I like it. So with um, the latest Boris announcements, or I guess you're Nicholas Sturgeon, yeah. but it's the same thing. Um, you know, unfortunately, we, there are a lot of people looking for work at the moment. Um, I know a lot of them. Uh, one of my clients is a recruitment company. So I, you know, I see both sides of it. Um, if what kind of top tips, you can be three, it can be one, it can be five. Would you give people both, I guess, from a mindset point of view, which is arguably the most important thing, because let's face it, it's a crappy time. I've been there when you're, you're not worried. You are worried because you don't know what's going to happen next or if an opportunity comes up or not. But then actually, if you do get a chance for interview, what are your kind of top tips? Hmm. I think my top tip comes from, actually from, uh, have you got time for a quick story hmm. to explain? Yeah, okay. always. Um, so my brother that I mentioned was working offshore when I first went to Aberdeen. And then a wee bit later on, he, he'd always want to be a pilot. He actually spent 50 grand of his own money, trained as a pilot wanted to stop working offshore but when he eventually got through training as a pilot he graduated with his commercial qualifications having spent a lot of his life savings on it he graduated into the teeth of what was like an airline recession there were no jobs so he'd sent 50 60 i don't know how many applications out and was getting no response and i said to him even back then this is before i was actually a career coach but i said to him well bro you're not getting any answers from these big companies let's just get you in the door of a local company let's just go see them so got the suit on. I just started driving him around local companies. He went into one, handed in his CV, you know, had a confidence boosting conversation, went to the second one. airline companies or just any company? Yeah. No, 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 airline companies. Okay. Well, so uh, don't worry, there's only two without the final one. So basically he goes into the second one. I fall asleep in the car, warm day. He comes out, he's got a job. Now what happened is he walked in, he got speaking to the operations person that was on the desk, small company, so you can get to decision makers more easily. She said, oh, the boss of the owner of the company happens to be up from London. Do you want to meet him? So they got chatting, shared passion, shared enthusiasm for aviation, genuine, because he's always wanted to be a pilot, you know? So they get chatting, and after a while, the guy's like, have you got your qualifications? And then, do you want a job? Now, bear in mind, airline recession, he's applied for tens and tens and tens of jobs with the big guys, hearing nothing back. Get your suit on, just start walking in places. Now, I know it sounds too good to be true, but it's a genuine story. That is what actually happened. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's why I called the free resource that I have over at Career Goldmine is called Captain Your Career. And that's why it's from his story. It's that idea. And it's the psychological tip you talk about, man. People have just got to, got a captain their own career. They've got to just choose that they're going to go out and find that or make that thing happen i'm mm -hmm. not saying it's easy i'm not going to patronize people i know it's not easy i know it's never been so competitive but what's the alternative just to sit and apply and apply and apply and hope for the best i mean sure you should be doing that but you should be finding ways of getting yourself noticed in front of people and and i don't want to give some kind of general advice and say everyone should show up at people's doors you know it's covid times you might not be welcome but you've got to find a way to differentiate yourself and just applying for the same jobs that 500 other people are with the big name companies, yeah. that's probably not it. Because one of the things I've, when people have asked me about options and careers and different things, is almost that with a lot of them come from bigger company backgrounds where they do a role as one of 100 or 500 and they pitch themselves as that particular role or that's what yeah. their skill set is. <clears throat> and my point always is, is that I spent the last, I don't know, five to eight years in smaller companies that actually you might be a senior engineering project manager that in theory runs 
10 million pound projects, whatever it is. But, and my point is the skills that you will have, you could arguably be operations director or even MD in a 2 million pound company. And it's almost where people often undersell themselves or they just don't even think of how they could pivot. Yeah. And it is, it's true and you see it all the time. And then one of the big ones that when I talk to kind of freelancers that sell themselves for say marketing or whatever, mm-hmm. the challenge you've got is that if you sell marketing support, if the company already has something in place, it's an instant no. But mm-hmm. my point to them always is, well, actually, what other skills do you have? Are you good at? admin organizing stuff leadership whatever because in theory every company needs or everyone's got different challenges and the point is if you can speak to the owner and say look what are you struggling with i'm a i'm a you know safe pair of hands can i help that is a good sales message for almost anyone and it's almost just thinking outside the box that you don't have to just apply for jobs that come up you can almost you know proactively approach people yeah, if, you, if all you're doing is applying for jobs that come up, you are hugely limiting your chances. I would definitely say that. I mean, in that Captain Your Career uh, free PDF thing, it's a checklist. It's set out like a pilot's checklist. That's the conceit of it, if you like. So there's like 21 points on the checklist. But one of the things that I talk about is um, front foot approaches and just finding ways in. And whether it be with a letter or whether it be with a call or whether it be actually showing up once COVID rules apply, I mean, having the balls to just do something different like mm-hmm. that going to make you stand out because yeah you might have to eat humble pie a bit i mean my brother went from i don't know 70 or 80 grand a year offshore to 18 grand a year for his first pilot's job now he soon recovered that and that's a whole other story and a whole other set of lessons but we won't go there just now but yeah i mean there are going to be sacrifices so yeah i'm not i don't patronize job seekers by saying it'll be easy it's not easy i totally get it and it can feel like a really lonely really depressing really tough place and i'm genuinely worried for many people this winter man because i think it's going to be a really long cold tough winter mm. emotionally for people uh, and i'm really hoping the economy picks up next year but yeah having that captain your career attitude is is crucial man to, for people to get themselves through i really think that it's got to be coming from your own head you can't you can't just wait for the people you're applying to to send you a happy yay come to interview yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not gonna happen I mean, that, that's a shot in the dark that's playing the lottery at the moment so it's not that we cleverly plan these questions, but this is seamless the way this is running through. Um, so based it's on genius, that, it, Steve? <laughs> but like, so on Saturday, it was World Mental Health Day. Mm. And, you know, I wrote a post because actually I was sat in Costa Coffee because it was still allowed to go at the time. Um, and it was almost where, so I started my own business last October. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've realized earlier today that I've pretty much worked all year. I haven't had a break. And now it's to the point where I feel fatigued, I'm tired, I'm going on, but it's not easy every day. And someone put, commented yesterday on some social media that I'm one of the most enthusiastic pair, you know, people that they know. But it's yeah. like, it's now the whole lockdown and without going for a break and a holiday, it's starting to kind of get to me. And yeah. I don't know if that classes as mental health or not, but it was almost just that was what it is to me. But I know that you kind of volunteer for different charities and stuff. So I don't know if you want to just, I don't know, talk about the topic or how you found things or the effect of COVID on it, on people. Uh, give me a few potential angles there. I mean, the first thing is for me personally, I don't see my mental health counseling as particularly separate to what I do that I happen to get paid for. Yeah. To me, it's still the same thing. It's still the same service value. It's still the same listening to people, helping them express themselves in a real way. So it's kind of a through line for me. It doesn't feel separated, but in terms of the COVID effect, some, yes, I hear it from my counseling clients, but I also hear it from my coaching clients. And it's that feeling of being devalued that a lot of people are having right now, because they're either, if they're on their own business, they're knocking their pan in and probably not getting as much revenue, people losing their jobs, same kind of thing where they're of course not feeling valued. Um, so yeah, it's going to have a massive impact on, many, many millions of people's mental health. But in terms of people like you and me who are, you know, ostensibly still doing okay, you've still got the, the kind of the lack of freedom and the feeling of uh, maybe concerns, certainly in the earlier stages, the concerns over health. For me, I've found, and I've suggested it with and worked with some clients on it, it's like taking a mini break, like even just taking a few minutes 
of like deep breathing, you know, like the Wim Hof breathing app, for example, is one I love. But you're literally taking two or three minutes out of your day just to take the focus right away from whatever emails or whatever application forms and just do that deep breathing and engage with the human being that you are and the flow of your breath. And, and again, I don't want to, it might sound cliche, it's not meant to, it's not even, it's not even that I'm doing yoga or something deeper, but just that engagement with yourself and with that kind of vital oxygen flow mm-hmm. can be enough to, to kind of give you some mental respite because your, your brain, you know, when you're doing that breath hold Wim Hof technique, have you ever done it? Uh, I don't know what it is, but I will well, Google it after you, this. You need to have a shot at Wim Hof. Okay. Uh, I think it's W-I-M and then H-O-F. There's a great documentary about them as well, but look them up, try the app. It's free, it's brilliant. And it's like a three or four minute, just total mental break in your day. You just lie down on the floor or whatever and just do the breathing exercise with his voice in your ears. You can't, when you're holding your breath for two minutes, you can't be worried about I don't know, finances or jobs because you're just in your body, in your mind. It's, it's incredible. So yeah, finding ways of taking many mental breaks like that has been really powerful for me personally. And I've, I've used that with certain clients as well, but also just expressing your rage or frustration or fears. And I know not everyone has someone that necessarily they live with that they can do that with, but just don't be afraid to lean on people because you'd be, well, you probably wouldn't be surprised, but there's a heck of a lot of people who do want to listen, yeah. that do want to help. So please reach out. That would be my kind of my message on the mental health side. Because why do you think it is that blokes especially find it difficult to talk about stuff like this? Well, is that still the case? I guess it probably is to some degree. I think it's much better, Steve. I honestly do. I would probably just wired that way. I don't know. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend to know the kind of the biology well enough to know, but I think we're getting better. I really do. I guess there's there's partly, and I've, I know I've talked talked about banter earlier. There's maybe partly the fear that if you do open up, you're just going to get the Mickey ripped out of you. So there's maybe maybe partly that, and that's you know that can be a great thing at times, and sometimes that can be therapeutic. But you know mm. when it's really serious, yeah, I, I hope it's getting better. And and if someone wants to reach out to me, hit me up with a DM. I have had people randomly, people from you know. Finland, whatever, middle of nowhere, just send me a message and say, haven't read some of my stuff and say, have you got 10 minutes? I just need to sound off about something. And if I can, I will. But I would would encourage people to offer that for other people too, for people they know, because partly it's about showing your mates or people you know that you are open to that and just saying, you know, Bob, if you're whatever the guy's name is, or if if you're struggling, Mark, give me, give me a, give me a shout. Yeah, cool. Um, so I'm very conscious that you've got an appointment shortly. So we'll kind of start to wrap up. <laughs> That's why I'm wiggling around. <laughs> um, so one of the things that I ask all of my guests, and I think this is all, you know, arguably the most important bit, and this is about sharing advice and just lessons learned and stuff. What's the best piece of advice you've ever had? Best piece of advice I ever had. I think it would be a toss up between get a dog and, um, Act first, apologize later, which my father-in-law gave me that advice. My wife hates it when I say that, but he did. Uh, he was a successful guy in his own right, um, commercial property guy, and he gave me that advice, and he's so right. Just try it. Act first, apologize later if you need to. So, yeah, that's my favorite. That's probably my favorite advice. And get a dog. But definitely get a dog, too. Because it, even if Mrs. H throws me out, you know, I can still get a dog. <laughs> and it, it is true that regardless of what happens with your career or whatever, the dog will always love you <laughs> yeah, as long as it gets the, fed. Well, I was going to say, in the end, when everything gets really tragic, the dog can eat you. No, sorry, that was a bad joke. <laughs> and then the other question I ask is that if you were to give advice to your younger self, what would it be? <sighs> Buy a property as soon as you leave school, chum. Man, if I could give myself advice, honestly, that would be it. I would say buy property. It's not going out of fashion. But would you um, say that now as opposed to in the 1990s? Uh, I'd still say it now, but I'd, I'd say investigate how to buy a property, property intelligently. I, I bought a property with, uh, let's just say, very limited resources before. You don't have to buy it in the conventional way. I'm not pretending to be a property guru. I'm not. But I, that would still be my advice to my younger, younger self. Yeah, to my 16 or 18-year-old self try and invest in property in some way yeah that probably would be my advice pretty early doors and get a dog <laughs> and get a, <laughs> is the dog the theme i'll just run through this um and then uh, yeah <laughs> so 
so conscious of time and stuff. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we go? Um, just thanks for having me on. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, if there's anything I can do for you, let me know. You can maybe come on my podcast sometimes if you fancy it. I, I didn't um, even know you had a podcast. That's because I've been keeping it quiet. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I'm not really here to plug anything. I know I've mentioned Captain Your Career. So if someone wants to check that out, I don't know if you put a link under this, but I can do. Uh, Connect me on LinkedIn if you're a connection to Steve's and we don't already know each other. That'd be great to connect. I post content most days. Um, my most successful recent content was about emojis, but don't, don't be fooled. I sometimes post helpful stuff as well. Uh, yeah, the site is careergoldminer.com if you want to check out the free the Captain Your Career thing. Because whatever happened to your thoughts, which you used to post when you're walking through oh, the woods? Those thoughts, well, you mean, well, I had a version years and years ago that were actually quite successful in, not in numbers of views necessarily, but a lot of business came from that. But more recently, I just haven't done as many videos. Mm. A big, actually, genuinely part of it is I start to get put off a wee bit because they get, they seem to get slammed by the LinkedIn algorithm compared to a post. So my emoji post, I don't know, 33,000 views, a video that people love that gets a great ratio still might only get, I don't know, 4,000 views. And you just think, because I saw your post on this earlier today. <clears throat> and from a business point of view, it depends on what your goal is. So for instance, for my business, I do all of this to target maybe 10 people max. You know, so I, in theory, go very hard on a niche audience and I just want depth and quality and stuff. So I almost don't mind if this only gets 10 views because it's hopefully 10 quality views. And it's that balance of where you could do a post on emojis but it's whether it sells the division of, you know, I guess you want the balance of the two. So you want the wide reach, but still have the depth that people can really understand who Thor is and what you do and stuff. I, I totally agree, Steve. So yeah, it's not that I'm saying I won't do videos anymore because I don't get enough likes. I'm not a like junkie, genuinely. I'm not that bothered. I mean, of course it's nice if everyone likes your stuff. I'm not going to pretend it's not. But if I, if I do a video post and it only gets 500 views, but I get a potential client or I get someone engaging me and, and say, you really help me have a better day or whatever i was having a rough time and yeah that is more meaningful so no absolutely i completely agree with you to me it's a blend i mean i, I would tend to try and do a video or two a week um whereas in the old days i used to do one a day yeah. so yeah i, I just i'm not going to do that and same with podcasts I do them every week or every couple of weeks and i know it's better to be regular but you know i try to aim at an average of one a week for the podcast one what's week the podcast called thor holt presents fair enough and what do you present People usually, or or just ideas, <clears throat> stories. But it tends to be people. Oh, cool. Well, I'm conscious of your back appointment, uh, but it has been lovely to catch up. I know it's been a while, and we'll have a proper catch up at some point soon. Um, awesome. Good luck with the back. I will check out the podcast and I'll put all the links to the different career stuff underneath as well. I think especially now more than ever, it is important to kind of, you know, tell people what supports out there and just, you know, come across as real people as well. It's part of the reason why I was always keen to do video that often if you write written text, people can take it multiple different ways as often if you see someone talk on a topic, you can kind of gauge their real passion and what they're about and stuff as well. So cool. Well, I will let you go. Uh, thanks for your time Thank again. You. Thanks to anyone that watched and hopefully we'll catch up soon. Thanks, buddy. Cheers, mate. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.